Welcome to Living Truth Radio, a ministry of Living Truth Christian Fellowship with Pastor Michael Lance. It is our goal to build up believers and reach out with God's truth to all people. Now here's today's message with Pastor Michael. Acts chapter 26. If you wonder about the New Testament, the man that wrote two-thirds of the New Testament letters, he received direct revelation from Jesus himself. God called him just like he called Moses, just like he called Jacob, just like he called Samuel, and he gave him the gospel. That's where it comes from. It's not made up by man. It is the saving message of God who came, and what's amazing about the message is that God became a baby in Bethlehem, grew up and lived the perfect life that we could never live, died on the cross, rose from the dead, all in the history in which we live. Why? Because God loves us. Because God has a plan for us. And he says, get up and do what I have called you to do. Verse 17, I will deliver you From the Jewish people, it sounds like it's not going to be smooth sailing from the beginning. Paul knew this. And from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you. Paul would need to be delivered over and over again, much like Moses when he first went and told the people of his mission. There wasn't a total buy-in. There was some rebellion. Then there was 10 plagues. Then he led the people out. Then the Egyptian army was coming and they were trapped by the sea. Have you led us out here to die? Weren't there enough graves back in Egypt? Just stand still. And watch the salvation of the Lord. And open, God opened the sea with, remember last week, the blast of his nostril. Oh, I love it. Right? And there it goes. And then they passed through on dry ground. And then the Egyptian army tried to follow. And guess what? The sea covered them. And if you read Exodus 15, there's a worship song all about the sea covering the Egyptian army. And archaeologists, by the way, have seen chariot wheels in that area. They can't move them because they've been there for so long. But there's evidence of the sea, of the crossing of the Red Sea. This is in history. And I'm sending you, and it's not going to be easy. And you might say, well, that's fine for Paul. That's Paul's call. No, Paul's call is your call because he's articulating the gospel. And he says, follow me as I follow Christ. His heavenly vision is ours. This is what we do as a church. Yes, we do practical ministry. Yes, we try to adopt and feed the poor and do all of that. But our first responsibility is to share the truth of the gospel. What is the gospel? What does it do for people? It's encapsulated in five points in verse 18. Number one, I want you to open their eyes. Have you ever spoken to someone about a different subject or maybe they were naive on something and after you explained it to them, they said, you really opened my eyes on this subject. Ever had that before? Maybe, maybe you said that to somebody else. That's what the church does. Many people don't know their under the judgment of God. They don't know what the power of sin is. They think that their good works will outweigh their bad works. They think that someday they're going to have a cup of coffee with a bearded figure up in the heaven somewhere and they'll negotiate or they'll say why they didn't fully commit to Christ. No, God dwells, listen, in unapproachable light. Our God, the book of Hebrews says, is a consuming fire. If you want to know his power and holiness, go back and read the account where Moses goes up on Sinai to get the law. Fire comes down. God says, if anybody touches the mountain, they're dead. Which mountain do you want? Mount Sinai, the mountain of law, or the mountain of mercy? I know which one I'm choosing. I'm running to the mountain of mercy. I'm running to Calvary. I'm running where Jesus Christ paid for my sin. I want you to open their eyes. Look at the second part of verse 18. To turn, that they may turn from darkness to light. And when you think of these words, think of the negatives. Unbelievers are blind. They are in darkness. 
They are under the dominion of Satan, but I want you to move them from the dominion of Satan to God in order that they may receive forgiveness of sins. Unbelievers are unforgiven. If you have not appropriated the sacrifice of Jesus by believing in him, you are still in your sin. But the good news is the word forgiven here is a thesis in Greek. It's literally the picture of the scapegoat. God has put our sins on Jesus and he's taken our sin away. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. But we must put them on him, if you will. They're already on him, but we must appropriate it for ourselves. Notice that they might receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified. The word means set apart uh, for service and to God by faith in me. That is faith in Jesus. So unbelievers have no inheritance. Well, they have no heavenly inheritance. You see, where they're headed is not heaven. These are the aspects of the gospel. And so Paul says, this is what he commissioned me to do. I was obviously an enemy of the gospel but now I'm in the eye-opening business. I'm a preacher that people might move from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. This is my life. This is what I preach now. Jesus said, he who follows me will not walk in darkness. He will have the light of life. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Everyone who believes in me may not, that believes in me may not remain in darkness. And darkness is Satan's dominion. Satan's power, Satan's authority is all there. That's where unbelievers are. They may not know it. They may not realize it, but they are walking in darkness. And here's the picture. It's, it's as if an unbeliever is walking towards a cliff they can't see because they're in darkness and they're walking right toward the edge and Christians are supposed to turn the light on and help them turn around away from judgment, away from the fall and turn back to their creator through Jesus Christ. That's the picture. And so we say to people, turn. Why do we say turn? Our oh, repentance is an old church word. We don't want to hear that kind of stuff anymore. No, it means turn. You're heading for the cliff. Stop and turn. Do you see the meaning? Turn away from perishing and turn to God. And so consequently, 19 King Agrippa, I did not prove disobedient to the heavenly vision. I think Paul's saying, what would you do, king? What would you do if that marvelous light appeared to you? What would you do if God called you? I think you would obey. Jesus said, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Amen? If you call him Lord, you obey what he says. So I kept declaring, verse 20, both to those of Damascus first and also at Jerusalem, and then throughout all the region of Judea and even to the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, turn around, turn to the light, Performing deeds appropriate to repentance. They should have fruit in their lives. That's what this is about. You see, I kept telling people that there should be something that happens after you repent. There should be some tangible fruit. Turn to the book of Titus for a second. We're studying this in our men's breakfast on Thursday mornings. Titus chapter, uh, right past First and Second Timothy. Go to chapter 2. This is Titus 2, look at verse 11. Titus 2, 11. Do you have fruit in your life? Jesus said, you will know them by their fruit. So what is coming from your life? What do people around you say is the fruit that's flowing consistently from you? Titus 2.11 says, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Grace saves us, but notice also it instructs us. Grace teaches. What does it teach us? Titus 2.12 
instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for what? For good deeds. That's what God wants. Look at Titus 3. Look at verse 3. Titus 3, 3. Remember, Paul is writing this, and he says, For we also once were foolish ourselves, disobedient, deceived, enslaved to various lusts and pleasures, spending our life in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness of our God, of God our Savior, and his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out upon us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by grace, we might be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We're saved by grace, but our response to grace is gratitude. Go back to Acts. It is good works. It is saying, Lord, I'm in your service now. I want to produce the fruit. And that's what Paul's saying. I went around preaching that. I was doing it in my own life and I started preaching it to others. And this is what made people unhappy. By the way, if you preach repentance and good works, some people will be unhappy with you. Look at verse 21, Acts 26. For this reason, some Jews seized me in the temple and tried to put me to death. And so having obtained help from God, Acts 26, 22, I stand to this day testifying both to small and great stating nothing but what the prophets and Moses said was going to take place, that the Christ was to suffer, and that by reason of his resurrection from the dead, he should be the first to proclaim light both to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Do you see what Paul has done now? He has turned his trial into an opportunity to preach the gospel. Isn't it interesting how he snuck it in there? What was this supposed to be about? This is supposed to be about, let's hear from this little Jewish man and find out what he's done wrong and let's let him go on for a little while. And all of a sudden, I think you can hear a pin drop in this amphitheater because everybody, I think, is under the conviction of the Holy Spirit and Paul begins to preach the gospel and the gospel is full of the power of God. It has the power to transform the simple message and Paul breaks into it and he preaches it. And while Paul was saying this in his defense, Festus, some people can't stand the, the uh, silence of conviction. Festus said in a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you mad. Everybody was listening, but Festus just couldn't take it anymore. Paul, the Living Bible has it this way, you're insane. Your long studying has broken your mind. Ever been there before? You're talking to somebody? They knew that your vocabulary was about this thick before. Now you have words like sanctification, regeneration, glorification. And they're saying, what's with all these T-I-O-N words, man? I, I knew you before. You had a small... And now you have ologies. You talk about theology and eschatology and all this stuff. And they're like, you're nuts! Yeah, you seem to be educated and maybe you've studied theology, but you're crazy. You're insane. And I don't think I would have been as nice as Paul in my response. But Paul said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but I speak the words of truth and reason. The, uh, that's the New King James. 
I utter words of sober truth, New American Standard. I am speaking uh, words that are true, true and rational words. That's the ESV. I am not crazy, NIV. What I am saying is true and reasonable. You do not need to check your brain at the door and apologize for Christianity. What, pray tell, are the alternatives in the world? Well, Festus the governor apparently believed in Roman mythology, much like Greek mythology. They believed there were multiple gods and goddesses who fought with each other and you had to appease them and you might be under a curse or they believed in omens and all these things. That's what he believed. Sound very rational to you? And what do people believe on the planet? Well, there's all kinds of Eastern beliefs and they believe in reincarnation. They believe you live over and over and over and over and over and over again. And then once you finally get it right, you ascend back into the nameless great one. You just kind of go back. I'm going to head back into the universe now. Okay. What? Oh, but we do have evolution, which is so, uh, you know, intellectual. What does the evolutionist say? I will simplify it. I know it's a little more complex than this, but not much. Well, what we believe is that eons and millions and billions of years ago, something exploded. We don't know where it came from. We don't quite know what was going on. And then it started to swirl and boom, 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 boom. Planets were thrown everywhere. And the earth is just the perfect distance from the sun so that we don't fry and the perfect distance away so that we don't freeze. And then there's six million forms of plants and animals and they all just kind of, uh, they evolve from a soupy substance known as New England clam chowder. <laughs> Granddaddy amoeba came out of the soup and hey, what's going on around here, right? And then he changed over time and all these things changed and then, what? And nobody's driving the ship, by the way. This is all based upon random purposeless, mindless chance. It's all evolutionary chance. Nobody's driving. Who's crazy here? In an age of scientific enlightenment, may I suggest that we stick with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. You see, we've been trying for hundreds of years, I don't know if you've noticed, through all this different evidence, and they keep changing the, the basis of the theory. Uh, no, maybe we, it, it was this. Maybe we need more time. Maybe that, no. You're not going to find it. See, God is the missing link. And they keep looking and looking, and they say, we're crazy. And the next time somebody says, you're crazy for believing in a creator God, Throw back at them what they believe. So what you believe is that this is all a chance explosion. You ever looked at your body lately? You ever kind of just examined your hand or thought about your eye or your nose or one of my favorites, your taste buds? Ever thought about the design of your uh, systems inside, involuntary organs, your heart that pumps all that blood through your body, these feet, that are kind of small, but you can still stand on them and walk. A brain to think. Have you ever thought about reproduction and healing and the way that animals intersect with plants and, and everything works and, and, and this is what? If I told you that I started digging in my backyard and I found a, a red Corvette and it started oozing out of the ground. It's got all the instruments set and, you know, perfectly, and it plays my favorite music. And, and over time in my backyard, this thing just kind of came out of the ground. You would say I'm nuts. You see, the church 
is uh, kind of backed in this position of thinking that we're crazy. No, we believe that an intelligent creator, and this is really the best evidence, made this world and everything in it. And as, what's amazing is he came down in the person of Jesus Christ. What's the world saying? Well, listen to Julian Barnes. Julian Barnes is frightened. He knows that he shouldn't be, but he is. He can't help himself. You see, Julian Barnes is afraid to die. The famous English writer, the author of Flaubert's Parrot and other prize-winning novels, formerly called himself an atheist. Then he claimed to be an agnostic because, in his opinion, there's no good reason to think that there's a God. This would further imply that there is no such thing as life after death and therefore nothing to be frightened of, which is the title of one of his latest books. Yet the sober truth is that Julian Barnes is desperately afraid to die. The New York Times Book Review correctly diagnoses his condition as thanatophobia, the fear of death. Barnes thinks about death every day, and he admits that sometimes in the night he is quote-unquote roared awake and pitched from sleep into darkness, panic and vicious awareness that, that this is a rented world, close quote. Awake and utterly alone, he finds himself beating his pillow with a fist wailing, Oh no! Oh no! Oh no! Julian's dreams are even darker. Sometimes he is buried alive. Other times he is chased, surrounded, and outnumbered. He finds himself held hostage, wrongly condemned to a firing squad, informed that there is even less time than he thought. He calls this the usual stuff. And perhaps this is the usual stuff because death is the sum of all fears of being alone, of being abandoned, of being condemned. When you wake up in the middle of the night, says this writer, what are you afraid of? What does the world really have to hold on to? If Julian Barnes doesn't meet Christ, he should be afraid to die. To me, it's insane to live without your Creator. Doesn't it make sense to get in touch with your Creator and reconnect with Him through His Son? Now Paul turns and he'll, he'll turn to the king as we end up. He says, Acts 26, 26, For the king knows about these matters, and I speak to him also with confidence, since I am persuaded that none of these things escape his notice. But this has not been done in a corner. It's not like the resurrection of Jesus was something that just a few people were talking about. It was everywhere, all over the Roman world. And now it's going to get personal. Paul looks at the king and he says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you do. And Agrippa replied to Paul, in a short time, you will persuade me to become a Christian. I'm sure the crowd gasped when Paul did this. <gasps> he spoke to the, did you hear how he spoke to the, <gasps> Paul didn't care. Paul was already ready to die. And he turned to the king and he said, do you believe? It's pretty easy when you're sitting on the throne and you're just a spectator. Let's hear what the little Jewish man has to say. But all of a sudden, the little Jewish man is confronting you with your destiny. Do you believe? I know that you do. And King Agrippa replies, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? The New King James has it. You almost persuade me to become a Christian. I wonder how many almost Christians are running around the landscape. They went to a memorial service. They come to a couple services a year and they're moved by the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Maybe there's even some tears and they say, you know what? I was at a service and man, I felt something and I almost... How many people are going to enter into eternity as almost Christians? Oh, they've heard the gospel, but they never committed their life to Christ. 
I wonder how Agrippa walked away that day as an almost Christian. Felix and Festus, what happened to them? They were going to die in a short period of time, and they had the gospel right in front of them. I ask you, are you an almost Christian? You've heard the gospel over and over again, but you just won't commit your life. Psalm 14 says, The fool has said in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They have committed abominable deeds. There is no one who does good. The Lord has looked down from heaven upon the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. Listen to this. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. That means morally There is no one who does good, not even one. Paul quotes that in Romans 3. And he says that the reason that people say there's no God is not because they're foolish as devoid of mental capacities. They say there's no God so that they can do what they want morally. This is a moral decision. If I say there's no God, then I don't have to be accountable to anybody. And God says that is the fool. That's the fool who goes to his grave singing it like Frankie did. I did it my way. Yeah, but what did it do for you? Doing it your way. And so Paul said, I would to God that whether in a short time or a long time, 29, not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am except for these chains. Paul was wearing chains and he said, look, I want everybody to become a Christian except for these chains. I want everybody to become free. And the king arose, and and the governor and Bernice, and I think kind of a procession now, those who were sitting with them, they followed sadly an earthly king rather than the heavenly king. And when they had drawn or gone aside or left the room, NIV, they began talking to one another, saying, this man is not doing anything worthy of death or imprisonment. And Agrippa, the king, said to Festus, the governor, this man might have been set free. If he had not appealed to Caesar, and I think Paul might have been saying under his breath, these men could have been set free had they only appealed to Jesus. See, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Do you believe? Have you settled it? That's what Paul was trying to do. He wanted all people to know this truth of freedom in Christ. Father, thank you so much for the boldness of Paul, the passion, his honesty about his past, and yet his fervor that people would be saved. And so he breaks into the gospel, a gospel that talks about a God who came into the world, lived, died on the cross, and rose from the dead a God who is available to us, a God who cares, a God who wants his message of turning from darkness to light, the power of Satan to God, preached so that people might be saved. Thank you for the many precious people in this congregation that preach that and live that message. Thank you that they got down on their knees and sought your face today. Thank you that they are passionate about gospel ministry. Father, keep us strong in your service. Now, if you're here and you're not a believer, why don't you settle it today? It's something like this. Jesus, pray it out loud if it's you. Come into my life. Thank you that you died on the cross for me and rose again from the dead. I trust in you. Be my Savior and be my Lord. Please forgive my sin. 
I turn from it. And I put my faith in you. Father, thank you for those who may be committing their lives or recommitting their lives. Thank you for God's people, the wonderful church family that you are using in this day and this time. Let us be found faithful to the heavenly vision that you've imparted to us. Thank you for the privilege of serving the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. We pray all this in his name, in the name of Jesus. Amen. If you would like to listen to this message, or if you would like more information about the ministry of Living Truth, please visit our website at livingtruthcorona.org. That's livingtruthcorona.org. And so intellectual knowledge is not enough. Agreement to a set of facts is not enough. You must believe. The Bible says even the demons believe and they shudder. But for you right now, my friend, if you're listening to Christian radio and you've not made a decision for Christ, now can be your day. Now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. Believe on him and trust in him today. It's something like this. If you're driving, you might want to pull your car over right now. Do it safely. At least keep your eyes open if you're driving. It's something like this. If you if you know it's the time for you to trust in Christ, pray it right now. Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I believe you died on the cross for my sin. I believe you rose from the dead. I don't want to be an almost Christian. I want to know you. I want this to be authentic. I want this to be a true relationship. Save me, Lord. I repent. And I receive you as my Lord and Savior. Change me from the inside out. Lord, I just want to pray for those who are praying right now. You'll just touch them. Remove the weight of sin off of their shoulders. Change them from the inside out. Look, my friend, if you've made that decision, would you reach out to us today? Go to livingtruthradio.org. Let us know about your decision. Call us, our our church phone number. You can get that information on the website. Uh, Keep us in prayer. And uh, if you can give to this radio ministry, we'd appreciate it. You can do all of the above, including listening to past sermons and shows and videos and articles and a bunch more at livingtruthradio.org. That's livingtruthradio.org. We appreciate you listening, and we will catch you next time on the program. God bless you. Maybe you've been hearing these messages about becoming a new creation in Christ, but you're not sure that you know him. Well, the Bible encourages us that now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. And so don't put it off because the Bible tells us we don't even know what a day will bring. So trust in him now. The Bible says that we need to confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. You know, we see this reality in the scriptures of repentance and faith. Turning away from our sin, which is repentance, it literally means to do a 180 and turn away from sin and turn to God, to do it his way instead of our way. And faith is a word in Greek which means to put our trust in, to entrust ourselves to Christ. Now, when we do that, we're trusting in his person, his finished work on the cross, and his resurrection, and and trusting in him and him alone for our salvation. And that's how you become a Christian. You turn from sin and you turn to God through Jesus Christ.